A year ago, I was preaching on Moses, and we spent weeks on the great lawgiver. We got into that subject because of the new Sunday school literature and curriculum that was being studied in these major churches, in which they were telling us all that Moses didn't write anything. And they broke the Pentateuch up into all sorts of divisions. But we dealt with Moses, and our Savior said, Had you believed Moses, you would believe me, because he wrote of me. And Jesus Christ knew more about Moses than anybody else. And he could say what Moses knew and what Moses wrote. Now in the providences of God, we've had great stirrings in the Middle East. The Israelis won a six-day war. They now possess the city of Jerusalem. And the whole world is in consternation. And the conflicts that have been germinated there are going to be with us for a long, long time. And I thought that perhaps it might be very helpful to us all if the pastor gave you a series of sermons on Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob had his name. Jacob means supplanter. He lived for 147 years. He had a very, very interesting life full of all sorts of sin and troubles and contradictions. And then his son Joseph was used to save him and the tribes from the famine and he was finally brought back in a magnificent, perhaps one of the greatest funeral processions of all history, and buried in the cave of Machpelah near Hebron. He is Israel. God changed his name when he met him at Bethel and said, Thou shalt no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, the Prince of God. And from him we have the twelve tribes, twelve tribes of Israel. And when you get into the final picture of the holy city, the New Jerusalem, and you see it coming down from God out of heaven, it's got 12 gates. And each one of the gates has the name of one of the 12 tribes of Israel. We're never going to be finished with Jacob and his tribes. And as I think about his life, and as we go into the study of it, and the study of these instances, how he robbed his brother of his birthright, and how he deceived, and how he had to work seven years to get his bride and then he got deceived. He deserved it and he had to work another seven years. He got mixed up with Leah and Rachel and then you come into all these other wars that he had and the conflicts. It's going to be exceedingly interesting to see this man and how God gave him his grace and how when he finally came down to the end of the life he saw the sin that was back in the past. The great patriarch, Jacob. And uh, I'm wondering perhaps maybe this text in the 8th chapter of Romans or the ninth chapter of Romans perhaps might be the one that we could take that will sort of be a canopy over the entire presentation as I develop it for you. But in the ninth chapter of Romans and in the 11th verse we read, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, 
the elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Jacob and Esau, we know, were twins, but Jacob was born just a few minutes after Esau, who came first, and consequently he was always called the, the younger. And God is telling us that everything that has had to do with Jacob, though he was the younger, the elder would serve him, and all that God unfolded through him and the promises that God has given him have to do with the choice of God. The choice of God. God said to this mother, before they were ever born, that the elder Esau would serve Jacob the younger. While in all of the family relationships, the firstborn had the name, had the inheritance, the firstborn. But in this case, it was the second that inherited the promises. And I want this aspect of God's choice, God's work of his own grace, to just stand as a canopy over the entire series of messages I'm going to give to you. Because it brings every one of us to the solemn realization that after all, God is the one who has determined all this that he's promised to Israel. Jacob have I loved. Esau have I passed over. Understand it? God's choosing. Try to explain it. It's God's choice. And when you think of Jacob and his sons and the twelve tribes and all that God did through these tribes in bringing the Messiah and then how they rejected their Messiah and have been dispersed through the nations and then God's purpose and plan that in the end all Israel will be saved. There will be a day when God will give grace to the little remnant in Jerusalem, and they will believe in the Messiah, and all Israel shall be saved. The plan, the scope of it, the outline of it, the unfolding of it in time, and the, 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 the process of history and these great events have to do with the choice of God. The choice of God. Now, the story about Jacob, of course, is in the book of Genesis. And will you turn with me to the book of Genesis, 28th chapter. And Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. Arise, And then he tells him to go back to the old country and take one of the daughters of Laban, thy mother's brother. He was concerned. Isaac was about Jacob's wife. Verse 3, And God Almighty bless thee and make thee fruitful and multiply thee that thou mayest be a multitude of people. 
and give thee the blessing of Abraham, that the blessings of Abraham be upon us and upon our children. Just And give thee the blessing of Abraham to thee and to thy seed with thee, that thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger which God gave unto Abraham. And here's the specific reference to the land. Now will you turn please over to the 35th chapter of the book of Genesis. And Jacob of course returns to Bethel and God speaks to him again. And in verse 11, God said, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply a nation, and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy loins. And the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac to thee, I will give it. And to thy seed after thee will I give thee land. And God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, even a pillar of stone. And he poured a drink offering thereon, and he poured oil thereon, and Jacob called the name of the place where God spake with him Bethel. Bethel, the house of God. Now, I want to make a very, very important distinction for you today. But before I make this basic delineation, which is necessary for us as Gentiles living at our time to understand all this, I think I'll take just a moment and just take the book of Genesis itself. There are 50 chapters in it. 50 chapters in the book of Genesis. You tear away the book of Genesis and you pull down the entire Bible. Without Genesis and without Revelation, you have just a lot of dangling material here. Genesis gives us creation, the perfection of God's creation, man without sin. Genesis gives us the fall of man, and you cannot understand the condition of man today without the third chapter of Genesis. And you cannot understand God's program to restore man and to recreate man without understanding the first two chapters of Genesis. And I like to take the book of Genesis with its 50 chapters, and you can break it up so conveniently. You break it right in the middle, which gives you 25, and then you break the 25 down into 12, another half, and you break the 12 down into 6, another half. And your first 6, you see, give you this creation story. Then beginning with 6, you take Noah and the flood, and then when you come to 12, you have Abraham, 12 until you get up to 25, Abraham and Isaac. And then from 25 on, you have Jacob. Jacob. Half of the book of Genesis deals with Jacob. Half of it, the last half of it. Jacob and Esau, selling of his birthright for a mess of pottage. And then we go on with Jacob all through the remainder of the book of Genesis. And you have a large section in there dealing with Jacob's relationship to Joseph and Benjamin, Joseph at going into Egypt, and then how Joseph is used to preserve Jacob. And then you have the final blessing of the tribes of the old patriarch as he lifts up his feet into his bed and is gathered unto his father. And the last thing that you have in the book of Genesis is, of course, the great procession when Jacob promises, makes Joseph promise him that when he's died, 
he will carry his bones and put them up there with Abraham and Isaac in the cave of Machpelah. And you have the final great procession when Joseph goes out of Egypt with all the chariots and the glory of Pharaoh upon him as they take the old patriarch and his body was embalmed and it's placed in the cave of Machpelah. And of course, you've heard me say at the different times, I know when I went there the first time, tremendous impression, there's no question but what his body's embalmed and still in that old tomb. It's there where they put it. It's been protected and preserved all these years. Jacob's body's there. You sometimes wonder maybe if before we get through, there may be some operation and when they'll open that, the Jews may even go so far to open that tomb and take a look at Jacob's body. You don't know what's going to happen. But that body is waiting there until the day of resurrection when the Lord will come and he'll raise Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and here are the tombs of the patriarchs. So just remember that when you think of the book of Genesis, one half of it deals with Jacob. Jacob and the twelve tribes and his sons and how God chose them. Jacob have I loved and through this nation, Abraham, Isaac, and now the nation of Israel, God is going to bless all the nations of the earth. The seed of Abraham, the seed of Isaac, the seed of Jacob. And if you'll turn, please, now to this 28th chapter of Genesis. Verse 4, here was the promise. God Almighty bless thee and make thee fruitful, many children, many descendants, and multiply thee, that thou mayest be a multitude of peoples. God says, Jacob... You reproduce, and God will bless your name and bless your descendants, and there will be multitudes of these people that will come from you. And give thee the blessing of Abraham. Now, beloved, the blessing of Abraham was the blessing of faith that God will give to you, Jacob, and to your children and to the generations that will follow you, the faith that God gave to Abraham. Abraham is the father of the faithful. And the whole message that God gave to Abraham was that through his seed there would arise the Messiah, and by faith in this one who would come, redemption would be brought to Israel, and that this redemption would come only through the great coming Messiah our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul's great argument, you know, of course, in Romans, and his big argument in Galatians is that this doctrine of justification by faith is no new doctrine. It's not new at all. Abraham was saved by faith, and Isaac was saved by faith, and Jacob was saved by faith, and David was saved by faith. And the great argument of the apostle is that in the Old Testament, the patriarchs looked forward to the Messiah, the seed of Abraham, and every single person who has the blessing of Abraham has the blessings of faith. Oh, that the blessings of Abraham may come upon you. And he's speaking here of the salvation, the promises unto you and to your children. And here God gave to Abraham the promise, gave him the covenant, gave him the circumcision, gave him these great things that bound the people to God together in what Stephen called the church that was in the Old Testament. Beloved, I want you people now to recognize, and we will develop it, that as Gentiles, 
We too are the partakers of the blessings of Abraham by faith. And I will develop that for you in a moment as we turn over into the great chapter in Romans that means so much on this. But let's take up the second point which you have here in this great blessing in the 28th chapter. And to thy seed with thee that thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger which God gave to Abraham. And beloved, all through the promises that God gave to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, as he talked about them to Moses, as you came on down to Joshua, and you move on down, and tonight when I get to preaching to you from the prophet Hosea, you run into it every time you face God's dealing. He's given them a land. He's going to take them off the land because they have rejected the faith and rejected the law of Moses. And God promised Abraham and Isaac and Jacob the land wherein they were strangers. He would give them that land and it would be theirs for an everlasting possession. Now I want to make this distinction and I hope that you can understand it and grasp it and it's this distinction which is blurred today in so many areas and in some Christian circles. But will you turn with me to the epistle to the Romans and into the 11th chapter of the epistle to the Romans. And Paul is explaining why the Jews rejected their Messiah. Verse 7, What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh after, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Paul says there are some Jews that are believers. He says, I'm one of them. I'm one of them. And that there will always be a remnant among the Jews according to the election of grace. There will always be some who will believe like I have. But he says, I attained it according to the election of God. But the rest were blinded. According as it is written. This is verse 8. God hath given them the spirit of slumber eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear, unto this day. And David saith, Let their table be made a snare, and a trap, and a stumbling block, and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened, that they might not see, and bow down their backs already. I say then, have they stumbled, that they should fall? God forbid. God's not finished with them. God's not finished with them. But rather through their fall, salvation is come to the Gentiles. For the promise, or to, for to provoke them to jealousy. Now, now he says, if the fall of them, their rejection of their Messiah, and their being cast away, 
If the fall of them be the riches of the world, the riches of the Gentiles, we've come into this inheritance. The diminishing of them and the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. Beloved, the apostle is making a distinction between those in Israel like Paul who believed and are the remnant according to the election of grace. And those in Israel who did not believe, but they were still the physical children and physically descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you have this distinction running right down through this great body called Israel. And what the apostle is saying here in the epistle to the Romans is that as Gentiles, we have come in to this picture on the side and along with the Jews that believe the promises. And that we are partakers with those Jews of the blessings of Abraham. All the blessings of faith. All the blessings that God has given in salvation have been given to us Gentiles. And the apostle in the ninth and the 10th and the 11th chapters of Romans uses this magnificent illustration about the olive tree. Israel is the olive tree, he says. But, he says, the branches of that tree have been broken off. And then some wild branches have been grafted into that olive tree. And the branches that are broken off are those who have rejected the Messiah and didn't believe in him. While those of the Gentiles who have come to hear the gospel, we have been grafted into that tree and we are a partaker of the blessings of Abraham by faith. And I can stand here today and tell you people that I'm a child of Abraham. I'm a son of Jacob. I believe what Jacob believes so far as the Messiah is concerned. And beloved, we must recognize this marvelous unity of faith between the Old Testament believers and the New Testament believers and the oneness of God's purpose in uniting us together. And it's in that sense that you and I are also a part of Israel. We are a part of the spiritual Israel. And we are partakers of the blessings of Abraham. And here we are today seeing it and recognizing it. And we recognize that Abraham is our father. Our spiritual father. Now, beloved, after the Bible makes that clear line of distinction and ties the New Testament ministry to the Gentiles and the church into the Old Testament promises to Abraham, and you have one great glorious body of redeemed people, then we have all the remainder of this great passage which says that God's going to take the unbelieving Jews. He's going to take the descendants of, of Jacob and they're going to come into their fullness and God is going to give them the land which he promised to them. And these are promises that pertain to the land. They pertain to Jerusalem. They pertain to that place where Abraham and Jacob were strangers. 
And God says, when I get finished with this great program, though you will reject the Messiah, some of you, and though you will be punished and dispersed throughout the nation, some of you, I'm going to bring you back to your land. And when I bring you back to the land, I'm going to take the scales off your eyes. And one of these days, he says, the Messiah himself will return, not as a babe in Bethlehem, but as a conquering king. Here he'll come, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of kings. And when they see him, when they behold him coming to Jerusalem with his feet standing in that day upon the Mount of Olives, they'll believe. And that will be the fullness, the fullness of Israel being command. Now look a little further, if you will, please. Verse 13, I speak to you Gentiles. Now you Gentiles, I speak to you inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles. I magnify my office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh, he says, I still want some of my Jewish friends, my flesh, that they might save some of them. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? For if the first fruits be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou, you Gentiles, thou, you Collingswood Church, being a wild olive tree, wert grafted in among them, and with them partake of the root and the fatness of the olive tree, boast not against the branches. Don't you boast against those other branches that have been in there. But if thou boast, thou boastest not the root, but the root thee. The root thee. This tree, this tree with the promises of Abraham, this tree that has a Messiah to redeem us from our sin, this tree which has the grace of God that brings us salvation, you boast of the root of that tree. You belong to Abraham by faith. Now before I go on with this, may I say here is our problem. And I want you people to understand it. And this is where those of us who are premillennialist, as we are, sit, fit into this picture in such a beautiful way. There has been in the period, in the history of the church, those who've come to these passages, and they have said everything, everything must be accepted purely on the spiritual level. And these prophecies about a land and about the people themselves being preserved and the Jews going back to Palestine, that must all be eliminated and taken in a spiritual manner in reference to the promises of Abraham. And that has been the view of many, many in the church. And I might say that this last summer when I was in Sweden and we were together with our brethren from the Netherlands and we were all talking of these things and everybody was discussing Mrs. Dominie Morris, who many of you know, she says, you know, Dr. McIntyre, there's the strangest change coming over the people of our churches in the Netherlands today. Our churches. She says, our people used to think that all these things had to be spiritualized. Everything had to be spiritualized. And that there was no relationship to the Jew, that, that they were finished, and that all these prophecies had to be taken spiritually. But she says, now in view of what's happening, 
And she says, people are searching the scriptures and they're beginning to see that there is not only the spiritual part with which you are identified, but there is also the fulfillment of these great promises concerning the land and concerning Palestine. And there's a shift, there's a changing taking place in many of these areas. But what you and I must recognize is that our relationship is a relationship to Abraham and the blessings of Abraham came on Jacob. Here God says you'll have them. And the blessings of Abraham have come upon us. That's what Paul says in Romans will be the blessings of the Gentiles. But all that God promised to Israel, she would be turned aside. Darkness and blindness would come upon her. But there would come a day when the fullness of Israel would come in. There would be a day when the promise is given to Jacob. Now let's go a little further with this Romans passage. Verse 17, And if the branches, if some of the branches be broken off, and thou being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree, boast not against the branches. Verse 19, What wilt thou wilt say then? The branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief they were broken off. They didn't believe the Messiah, they were broken off. And thou standest by faith, be not high-minded, you Gentiles. Don't you get up and say, we're better than these other people. Don't you be high-minded. You'll stand by faith. They were broken off because of unbelief, but you're here simply because you have faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, the natural branches of this olive tree, here they are. Take heed lest he also spare not thee. Behold therefore the goodness and the severity of God upon them which fell, severity, but toward thee goodness, if thou continue in his goodness, otherwise also thou shalt be cut off. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in a gay. Oh, beloved, when I go to talking about Jacob now, and when I outline to you these stories of his life and his troubles and we see the twelve tribes and we follow it down through and we see them come to that great and momentous moment when out of the seed of the woman the tribe came this blessed virgin and from her came this one who was to be the Messiah and he claimed to be the Messiah. I that speak unto thee am he. He gave every evidence. Some believed, but then they rejected and crucified him. And he said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem that stoneth the prophets, your house is left unto you desolate. And in 70 A.D. Titus tore the city to pieces and there wasn't one stone left standing on another stone. And all they've got over there now is a part of the foundation which they call the Wailing Wall from Solomon's great temple. And from 70 A.D. until this year, Jerusalem has been trodden down of the Gentiles, and the Jews have been scattered among all the nations like corn is sifted in a sieve, and yet God has kept them as a people. He's kept them in their persecutions and their trials, and now they've gone back and they're in the land, and they're in the land in unbelief. And they have the city of Jerusalem in unbelief. 
But God is able to graft them in again. God is able. And beloved, when we get finished with this great story of Jacob, he shall sit upon the throne of his father Jacob. Oh, beloved, the house of Jacob, the glories that God's going to bestow by his grace upon Jacob. And when I come to the close of this message to you today, I want to tell you, beloved, you come right back to where we started. It all rests in the sovereign choice of God. God chose Jacob and planned that through the tribes and through all of this that the Messiah would come. And then in their unbelief, he'd punish them for their sins and scatter them, but he would preserve them. And then they'd go back as a physical nation in unbelief, but God is able to graft them in again. And there'll be a day when this one who was raised from the dead, our great and glorious Messiah, will come and when he appears... They shall look upon him whom they have pierced, and the nations of the earth shall wail because of him. Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Now let me finish reading this for you. We'll finish it. Verse 23, God is able to graft them in again. For if thou wert cut out of the olive tree, for if thou wert cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree. That's what's happened to the Gentiles. We've been grafted in. How much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to whom? Who is the word? Israel. Blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. Oh, Israel. Beloved, I'm starting a series of messages today. I'm just giving you a sort of beautiful panoramic picture of how this thing's going to unfold by God's choice. Now look at verse 26. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer. Here he comes, the Messiah, and shall turn away ungodliness for Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. God says, I promised them this. I said I was going to give them back their land. I told them I was going to do this for them. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. The promises to Abraham, the promises to Isaac, the promises to Jacob, I'll give them their land, for the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. For as ye in times past have not believed God, yet now have obtained mercy through their unbelief, even so have these also now not believed, that through your mercy they also might obtain mercy." For God hath concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. And then we have this matchless, matchless declaration of Scripture that throws everything back into the eternal counsels of God. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord and who hath been his counselor for of or who hath first given unto him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again. God doesn't owe you a thing, my friend. God has no debts to pay on your account. For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. 
And beloved, as I bring this message to a close, God has purposes, eternal purposes. He makes the choice. And I say to you, dear people in Collingswood and those of you listening by the radio tape where you are, thank God that you, a wild branch, cut off, have been grafted in. And we stand by faith and by faith alone. And we see the promises of Abraham in our salvation. We see the promises to Jacob that he's going to give them the land and bring them back to it. And we're going to see the fullness of all that God has planned for his people culminate in a holy city, a new heaven, a new earth. And the city shall have twelve gates. And on the east three gates, and the north three gates, and the south three gates, and the west three gates. And the names on the gates are the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. Have twelve foundations, and what are the names of the twelve foundations? The twelve apostles of the Lamb. The Old Testament with its tribes and with the patriarchs, and the New Testament with its apostles, all fitting together in the holy city. For all who shall take part in that blessing and inhabit that city will be washed by the blood of the Lamb. Jacob. Oh, Jacob. What a life. What a story. What a character. What a destiny. Jacob have I loved. Let us pray.